Hey folks, it's John from AS for Alcoholic here with another AIFA conversation. Today I got to sit down with Dana Keys. She is an on-air personality for one of the biggest radio stations in California and possibly the country. She's also the host of the Radio Rehab podcast, which is one of my favorites. She was kind enough to talk to me about her drug addiction, her alcoholism, her relapses, her rehabs, and her ultimate recovery. So please, without further ado, here is my conversation with Dana Keys. Yeah, it was like frozen for a second. I thought you were like in deep thought, and I'm like, no, he's frozen. <laughs> no. Totally frozen. Um. But yeah, I just wanted, uh, I wanted to get, I also wanted to get women's voices. And I know that's something that we talked about um, via text that it seems to be in recovery. Men are a dime a dozen who want to talk about it. And I don't. They all want to talk about it. All the men want to talk about it and they're fine talking about it. And the women are like, you know, oh, well, let me think about it. And let me pray about it, you know, and it's just like. I just kind of feel like it's better to just put everything out there on the table and that way more people get helped. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your, what, tell me your, uh, your sobriety date this it's time around. September 17th, 2015. Okay. So on St. Patrick's day, I had exactly 3.5 years. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, we had a fun sober St. Patrick's day up in Portland and we went to go see a rock show that got canceled because of oh, weather. Nice. And, um, yeah, it was, well, and it ended up being an awesome trip and I got to see my best friend and we got to hang out anyway. And I'm so glad that we went regardless. And so, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's always interesting. Did you, do you, do you frequent bars at all? I mean, are there any reasons I know you work with musicians and you work in radio and. Yeah. Like I go to concerts a lot, sure. you know, um, I sometimes, I mean, I end up going to clubs. I had friends in town that I went to high school with recently and, uh, and, and they wanted to go to like, you know, get some wine. So we went to like a wine bar. So I'm in those situations a lot, but I don't really notice it affecting me. Um, I, it's, what's funny is it'll affect me. Like randomly I'll be watching Ray Donovan and watching how much scotch he drinks. And I'm like, God, I want some, that's not fair. Or I'll just drive by a poster and I'll get a random craving. But people are always, every time they drink in front of me, they're like, does this bother you? And I'm like, no, it hadn't even occurred to me that it should. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe you could start, just tell us a little bit about growing up in your childhood and, and, and how, if, and what might have led to you drinking and using early on, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I don't think I don't think there was anything about my childhood that led to me drinking and using. I think it was um, just the fact that I'm an addict and an alcoholic. And the minute I introduced that stuff into my system, my body was like, yep, yeah, more, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, my dad was an AA. So I, I, I mean, I knew him being, you know, loaded until I was 10 and a half years old. But it never really affected me. He wasn't abusive. Mm -hmm. He didn't, he didn't, you know. He never hurt me. I, I just, I, I never noticed anything except he was like a big kid and we were best friends. And then when I was 10 and a half, he got sober for real. He tried a bunch of times before then, but when I was 10 and a half, he got sober for real. And I, I was around AA a lot as a kid and, um, I was okay with being around the grownups in AA, but I had to go to Alatot one time because I was acting up 
And it was such a punishment because I hated being around other kids. And I'm like, no, I'll be quiet. Just let me go to the big people one, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, and I didn't really, like, pick up or start start using until I was, I think, I mean, not that it's so late, but I was 15. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was drugs. Drugs were my thing before alcohol. Um, and the minute I did it, I started doing it every day in, in high school. And then um, my parents threw me in rehab between my junior and senior year because I had no choice when you're that young. You know, it's like you can either go here or go to juvenile hall. <laughs> right. So I was like, OK, I'll go to the rehab. You know, it was a cushy L.A. place anyway. It ended up being fun. I didn't pay attention to anything. Uh, I just. I just made friends with other people my age that were also like hoodlums and vandals and whatever we were. And we just laughed, mm -hmm. laughed it off. And then when I got out, um, I just like my, the drug that I had done at that point was, uh, speed. And it just wasn't my, once I got away from it, I never wanted to see it again. So it was fine for me to, you know, I was able to stay abstinent from that. And, um, alcohol wasn't something I had tried at that point because it just seemed like something that made you like lose control and throw up and act stupid. So um, it wasn't until I ended up who's one night like and then I, I did start drinking when I was about like 18 or 19. And then the marching powder got introduced. And then you're up way too not, you know, up too late, like, you know, drinking with the cocaine and then somebody introduced um, heroin, but it wasn't injectable it was powder so it wasn't scary to me as it should have been you know it wasn't it was like oh yeah i'll do that and the minute you're doing I did, lines of coke anyway so why not yeah, exactly do some heroin? what's the difference yeah what's the difference so mm -hmm. and then the minute i did it i was hooked and that was that was what 93 94 something like I'm that i'm really bad with years <laughs> okay. but i know i was like 19 okay okay <laughs> So, so you're, you're drinking and you're using, so, so heroin becomes your thing. You still, you would, you consider yourself AA, NA, all of the above, A? Well, it's funny you should ask because I go to AA because that's where I found recovery. Like, yes, I am mm -hmm. a heroin addict, but I don't relate to or want to relate to people who insist on letting you know that they're addicts because I feel like, you know, it's like, I, every time I go to an AA meeting, I say I'm an alcoholic. I go to an NA meeting, I say I'm an addict. I just don't right. feel the need to, that everybody needs to know I'm a junkie. And I feel mm -hmm. like people who act like that and they hang on to that, they're going to go back to that. you know. And I feel like the recovery I found um, in AA is what really has kept me sober. Like I got three years clean in, in NA when I was in my 20s. And um, I know there's that part in the program where it says, alcohol is a drug well I don't I just took thought that didn't apply to me so um I mean I, I stayed off everything but then like I kind of felt like I graduated from the program I was just done with it I wasn't getting anything out of it I wasn't paying attention I got into a relationship with a normie and um I had really separated and I copped a lot of resentments and I'd really separated myself from the program. And then my dad died and I was without anything. I was without a program. I was without, you know, friends who you can really count on. Mm -hmm. And that's when I went, oh, okay, I'm going to drink because that's okay. Because it's legal. I had all the justifications, you know. So you're, so you're three years sober from, from heroin. It froze and again, you... didn't it? <laughs> it's possible. There it is. Okay. 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 <laughs> like... <laughs> um, 
so you're you're sober from heroin. Your father passes away, and you you say drinking's an acceptable form of relief from this or uh, coping. Yeah, and it was it was like more kind of anger. Like the night that he passed away, I um, we all went out to dinner, and my dad died sober, by the way. And um, mm-hmm. we all went out to dinner, and all everybody was toasting to his life with alcohol. And I was just like, you know, fuck this. And I had the guy who was my boyfriend at the time, like, you go get me a double martini and put it by the bathroom now. And you know, and he was like. Well, you were just a heroin addict, so it's okay if you drink, right? And, of course, I was like, yeah, totally, because, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, though we got to train them. <laughs> Otherwise, they're not going to let us do it. Right. So, so I trained him pretty good on that until he was like, oh, you know, until years later when he was like, oh, my God, you're a mess. Um, but, yeah, that's where it started, where it was like, yeah. And, and I also had this kind of like, how dare you people expect me to not do anything? Because my world was shattered. It was just upside mm-hmm. down. And can we just touch on who your father was? Because it seems to me like that's a tremendous thing to get sober and to stay sober and to pass sober coming from such a, 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 a life of, of excess. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, being in the Doobie Brothers in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Your dad was uh, Keith Knudsen, the the drummer for the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. Okay, and and, I mean, that's that to me is so amazing because there's a lot of people who who don't make it out of that lifestyle. Oh, yeah. I mean, we we hear about it constantly. I'm sure you do, too. You're in the music business all the time, and it's it's amazing to me. And so I just I just really appreciate those when I see those people who could have very easily not made it oh yeah i mean he tried a bunch of you know rehabs but it was aa that really did it for him too Mm -hmm. and so you have that double martini by the bathroom i had the double martini by the bathroom slammed it and then uh up at my parents house you know because they lived in wine country everybody was bringing wine so that was around so i'd be drinking that um and then you know when i when I went back and my boyfriend and I left, we went back to my house. It was, that's when I was like, I'm going to be drinking now. So, mm-hmm. and it was like probably, maybe it was even a couple years that I was able to, I'm not going to say I was able to control it because I did it every day. But like when I say control, I mean, I didn't wake up and drink, you know, because that's how, that's how I want to be. That's how I was in the end. That's who I am as a person. I would get up and drink, you know, like, yeah. Um, Let's see, did it do the thing again? There it is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I know I understand completely because near the end, I, we, there were always those sort of rules and justifications and what time and what occasions you can drink. And then near the very end, it was first thing in the morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And all day. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was working in radio. Um, I a lot of crazy stuff happened. Like I got a stalker who thought I was speaking to him through music. That was really scary. Um, he thought he would call the station like 24 hours a day, talk to the board ops even and tell them to tell me that I got, that he got my message, you know? Mm. And it's like, I mean, yeah, I didn't even pick the songs I played during my show at that station, Mm -hmm. let alone, you know, let alone like program 24 hours a day. Like, um, but yeah, he thought I was like some kind of an angel 
which is scary. He was like a 60-something-year-old retired police officer. It was really scary, and it was went there... on for a couple of years. Yeah, was so he just heard you on the radio, and this was this is what he thought of you. Well, so he called in, mm-hmm. and it's funny that you should ask that question. He called in, and I was frustrated because I'm running commercials, I'm running the board, I'm on air, and you know I'm very busy. And he asked a question about a song that was played like five hours ago when I wasn't on, and I was a little snappy, and I could he sounded hurt. And I felt bad. And also I could tell he's a little drunk. And I'm like, this is just an old alcoholic. And I just mm-hmm. fucking hurt his feelings. I'm an asshole. I'm like, look, dude, just call back in an hour and I'll figure it out. So he did. And that was the dumbest thing I've ever said in my life. I should have let it go, but I didn't. So I figured out the song. And from then on, I literally became his angel. And he would call all the time. And even though I wouldn't be on the phone with him, he would be thinking I'm, every song I played was me trying to tell him something. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was really, it was scary. It was really scary. And um, they, my, my work, you know, wanted me to fill out a restraining order, which would have meant I had to tell them where I lived. So I didn't want to do that. And uh, the way it ended, they made, I had to fill out a restraining order. He violated it and he went to jail and I knew things were going to go downhill quickly from there because he was a cop and he saw himself as a protector. So they sent him to jail and, um, after he got out, he was awaiting trial and killed himself. He, he blew his head off. And um, I, I think I felt responsible for that. Like, everybody around me, everybody at my work, even all the cops that were helping me were like, it's done. You know, it's over. And I'm like, no, it's not. You know, it's a sad, tragic thing that I have to deal with now. So I really took that on as, like, I did, the, or, you know, it kind of just... If it weren't for me, this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And this was this was shortly after you said your father passed in two thousand five. So this is you're in San Francisco doing radio all these years. This this happens to you. And um, at what point you you so you were drinking all of that time uh-huh. from like from like five until just a few years ago. Oh, two thousand five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm like, 5, what, p.m.? No, no. 2005. Oh, no, 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 okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was drinking, and I was able to go out and function, and it wasn't until, like, after that happened with the stalker and him killing myself, himself, <laughs> then mm. I got, um... oh, it did it again. There, now, I don't know if it's me moving or if it's all, like, the audio equipment or what. Um, so then, um... Yeah, I, I ended up just, I was having an awful time at work. Um, I had, I was working with somebody who really didn't like me, which is understandable because I was an addict and an alcoholic. They uh, were abusive um, mm. in a way where if I was sober, I, that wouldn't be happening. I wouldn't, you know, allow that kind of treatment to take place. But it was just abusive and mean, and it wore away at me. And I just became like a withered half of a person. And um, I finally got I got fired. And then, uh, you know, I think the person, the guy was in a relationship at that point. I think he was done with me already. Mm-hmm. And then when I got fired, I proceeded to just break into a thousand pieces. And I think he proceeded to look for a way out which I could tell, you know, because I'm not stupid. I, you know, I was drunk, but I was not stupid. I could see what was happening. And it literally, it, it drove me insane. That was like another year kind of just 
torture. And um, my family threw me into like what was like my 15th rehab, you know, like for 30 days, which was a nice break. But I got out and I didn't know how to do life. And I was mm-hmm. done living at that point. So I took two weeks to write uh, g- goodbye letters to everyone I knew, absolving them of any guilt. Because uh, I decided that this world didn't need me and that I was just making things awful. Like, I, I really, and it's like, when you're that depressed, it's really, you can really convince yourself that, um, that, that your family's miserable because of you, that everybody's miserable because you're here. Um, you know, cause some people are like, that's selfish. How can you do that to other people? Like, I really thought that my mom and everybody would be much happier if they didn't have to think about me. Uh, cause I was just such a miserable, you know, piece of shit. That's how I saw myself. And, um, so I finished writing these letters. It took a while. And um, I knew people who, um, like, people who uh, had gone back out on heroin after, you know, 60 days. And they used and they died. So I'm thinking, okay, it's been 11 years since I used. Um, I, I'm, it's pretty safe. I'm, I'm going to die. So I went out and I got it. I brought it back home and I had the letters out and everything and um, I didn't die. So I was like, well, since I'm here and, you know, then I was like doing for six months, I continued to do that drug. And um, for some, I don't know what happened. It's like, I really did that drug to death. So like, I'm doing it for six months and I'm like, wait a second. I know it better than this. I can't live like this. I can't do this. You cannot dance with this drug. So I got on methadone and, um, you know, so many things were happening during this point. I was in and out of homelessness. Um, I got into a half relationship so that my cats would have a place to live. Cause that's really all I care about. In the that world. was the priority. Yes. Yeah. It, oh, it was, it 100% was where are they going to stay? Um, and, you know, I go back and forth from being on the streets. I ended up getting on Suboxone. Um, but I still continued to smoke, crack, and drink. And it wasn't until, um, it was actually four years ago. It'll be four years ago in April. I was like, you know what? I, what am I doing every day with the crack and the alcohol and the driving away and getting a humongous bottle of alcohol and driving with it in the car? Um, so I got my second, like, liter of alcohol that day drove myself to Oakland where I was going to meet my dealer I went to um this part makes no sense to me I was clearly in a blackout because I had a cell phone yet I parked in a bank parking lot and I used a payphone. none of this makes sense I called 911 and I said if you don't come help me I'm gonna die and then I went and got back in the car left the car running my open bottle of booze my feet up on the dashboard and passed out and then the medics came and they said did you call for help and I said yeah and they said, do you need help? And I said, yeah. And they were like, okay, can we get in the car? <laughs> so how I didn't get a DUI, I have no idea. Maybe it was because I said I needed help. I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they, they um, took me to the hospital where I was put on fluids for 21, 24 hours. Um, you know, they had to use an ultrasound to find a vein to hook me up to fluids and it was off the whole thing was awful and that's when they were like yeah you definitely have liver disease and we're discharging you because it was just an er in oakland they're like we're discharging you but uh, you need help and i was like you're right i clearly do so i got uh i had a free taxi cab voucher 
no shoes. I'm just wearing detox socks from the hospital. They dropped me a bag off at the car. And I knew my boyfriend at the time like, would either, he was definitely going to kick me out, but I didn't know if he might murder me instead because I had taken his car. Like, he couldn't go to work. for, And I'm somebody did that to me. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I didn't want to go back. So I'm taking my time, really taking my time getting back to San Jose. And then, you know, oops, getting on the freeway, there's a liquor store. I think I'll stop. So I did. Yeah, and then, like, the minute that's introduced to my system, I wanted more crack. And um, so I'm doing both things and driving home, but really, like, going, I'm going to, but I'm going to go to detox. I'm going to do this. And then um, I, I got back to San Jose, and then the next day my mom was supposed to come get me. He, he was irate. He kicked me out, which is great. It's just what I needed because if somebody's going to co-sign anything I do for long enough, I will abuse it. If I'm in mm-hmm. my disease, not like not now. Right. Um, although, I mean, the urge is there now because I'm still me. That's why I work on my character defects. You know, I mean, but yeah, back then I just I couldn't help myself. I had to be thrown out on the streets and I ended up finding a doctor. Uh, my mom drove down to take me to him while I was waiting. I drank about a gallon of vodka. Um, you know, my mindset, I'm like, well, I'm going to detox. <laughs> Might as well get it in while I can. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And then I met uh, this, the doctor uh, told me that I had cirrhosis and jaundice. Um, it was funny because he's like, can't you look in the mirror and see that you're yellow? And I was like, no, because I have learned to brush my teeth and put makeup on even without looking at myself because I'm so disgusted by the person in the mirror, you know? Uh, like, I didn't know who that monster was. And he said, he said, are you done? And I just started crying because I was sick of bullshitting. Like, I was so sick of lying and of chasing this stupid drink and the stupid drug. And I said, yeah. And he put his 32-year chip in my hand. And I was like, whoa, no way. Um, that was a magical moment. And then, uh, <clears throat> and then I checked into um, Good Samaritan Hospital and I detoxed. And they were like, yeah, you have cirrhosis, which I was concerned about, but I was like, whatever. At that point, I really didn't care if I died, kind of, you know. And they were like, but your liver will heal itself if you don't drink. You know, in two years, your liver could go back to normal if you don't drink. But if you do drink, you will die. And I was like, okay. So then I called my mom when they released me. She's going to pick me up and take me to Sonoma. She took too long to get there, so I drank. And the reason I tell that story is because, like, without a program, I'm going to drink. It's just, there's no two ways around it. Like I have three and a half years right now. And I feel like if I didn't go to a meeting, say I quit going to meetings, like right now, I don't go to meetings for three months. I'll drink because I have no interest in like being dry and miserable. Like, I don't know how to drink without, without a program. Like that's the only way I know how to do this uh, and be happy because I'm supposed to be happy. If we weren't happy, I would be back out there drinking, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I didn't sign up for misery. Some miserable shit does happen. Things get sad, you know, but yeah. It's when you talk about like the letters, writing letters and, you know, get that feeling of um, we're so worthless and nobody cares about us. And in this idea that our family and our friends don't and, and you come to find out that the truth is that they, they just want us to love ourselves as much as they love us. Right. And at that point, I mean, I'm, you know, you're, you're almost, you're incapable of that. It yeah. doesn't seem it's, it doesn't exist, you know, it doesn't in your brain. Exist at all. And, um, 
finding a program, whatever that program is, you know, for you. I mean, there's somebody said like, even if, if you're not working a program, you're, you, you have one anyway, whether it's conscious or unconscious. So you have mm -hmm. to choose one that works for you. And I always yeah. thought that was really great. Like, oh, I, I've been working. The program I was working was, you know, drinking every single day. And right. that wasn't working. Or, well, it, it always seems to work for a while until it doesn't, right? Until, yeah. until everything goes sour, until the pain is no longer, you know, taken care of. And you're left with nothing but suffering, regardless of whether you're sober or you're high. Right. So Exactly. I just, that, that, that. that part about the letters is like that's uh, heavy it's I, uh, why is that you know it's that. funny like i tell that story at meetings and i'm used to telling that story and it's like whatever it's just part of my story and then this was in in like what i think is a depressing area of san francisco but i don't know maybe it's not depressing maybe it's just because that's what i did there it's in like glen park way outer mission at least we have engineers here at the yes. radio station <laughs> that's not true um Okay, well, cool. Huh? Do you remember where we were? I do. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> that's, I, yeah, that's okay. That's, <laughs> that's my job. Um, we were discussing um, your podcast, and yes. that inspired me to do this one because I felt comfortable enough to talk about addiction out loud. You said one of the things that you really appreciated in your podcast is that you would get listens from Saudi Arabia. Yeah where women aren't allowed to go to meetings. Is that correct? I mean, or... in some places and in some cases, yeah. I know they aren't. So it means a lot to me that, you know, when I, I think that there's people who are um, just and too embarrassed or there's too much shame for mm -hmm. them to go to meetings and they don't. You know, some people might just stick their toe in the water and might not really want to get in. And I just feel like the more I can expose them to, and you know, to, uh, to, to what we talk about or what we think about, you know, and, and the way it's normal, you know, they, they, I know there's people who think, Oh my God, I'm crazy. The way I think is insane. Uh, Cause the way we think is insane, but we're also in a room of like 50 people who also think that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's mm -hmm. the beauty of recovery to me. And I just want to be able to share that with as many people as possible. And yeah. it's funny because you'll be at meetings and they'll be doing the traditions and it'll say, you know, like in regards to radio, television, and mm -hmm. a couple of people have added the internet. It's like, I'm sorry, you don't get to go back to 1935 and add the internet when you don't know what Bill W would have fucking thought of the internet. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so they don't get to just add internet. It's like, but I get, I totally get the anonymity thing, but you can't just, you know, it's like when people, sometimes I'll be at like kind of hippie whatever meeting in San Francisco and they're adding words to how it works. And I'm like, you can't do that. <laughs> Just read what it says. <laughs> yeah, it's such a, it's such a dicey situation because it's, I want to, I didn't realize how much I would enjoy talking about it with other, you know, alcoholics and figuring it out and going, like you said, oh yeah, me too. I can't believe you think that crazy thought as well. I'm so relieved. And when... I can only do it in a church basement or in the back of a parking lot or somewhere. It just feels, and I appreciate the anonymity, you know, and I understand yeah. why people need it and why. And I, I feel like, and maybe you, I, I think you would agree that the stigma is being lifted more and more than it was in your dad's time when oh, it was yeah. Bill W's time, um, you know, and, and so I certainly don't want to put anybody out there that doesn't want to be put out there. And I would never do that. I mean, still 
when you know you're at the grocery store and I'll be with my girlfriend and uh, how do you know that person? Well, <laughs> you know, and I just she's like, oh, okay, 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 okay. Right, <laughs> so, I know that happens with I'll be with my mom in Sonoma and she's like, how do you know that person? I'm like, mom, how do you think I'm friends with an 80 year old man? Like, where do you think we connected? Oh, I think you know the program. <laughs> so so she quit asking. It's it's just and that was that was a big relief to be able to talk about it and say, OK, well, I guess because, you know, my friend and I, we started it. We were just having our own personal meeting. He lives up in Oregon and we'd get online and talk and read and talk. And right. then we're like, well, why can't we just record this? What is stopping us? Who am I? Who am I hurting? Am I hurting someone? And I don't it just felt like it would be more helpful. And so I appreciate what you do with it as well. Thank you. Yeah, I think the more the more of us that are talking about it, the better. You know, it's mm -hmm. like somebody said, "Oh, uh, I was looking, I was looking for your podcast, and I saw another podcast on recovery." And I was like, "Oh," she's and she's like, "Does that upset you?" And I'm like, "Fuck no! Like that's why I do it. Like the more of us that are out there, the better." I went mm -hmm. to this uh, big. It was like a 10k run, and I did not do that part. I just did the after part where everybody met in Chrissy Field in San Francisco, and there was this movement called Recover Out Loud. And yeah. I haven't like gone to their functions or anything since then, but I just like the name Recover Out Loud because it's like my relapse was pretty damn public. You know, people saw me relapse, and it's like, you know, I didn't get to keep that under wraps. Um, so I feel like my recovery should be public too. I should be able to recover out loud, you know, just as much as I relapsed out loud. Sure. And I think yeah. that's what is going to help other people get sober. I I absolutely agree. Um, and I just wanted to, I think the last thing I wanted to ask you about is the cats because oh, I'm a big Peter fan of simple. cats on Instagram. And so um, I see yours every once in a while. What kind of cats are they and what are their names? They're Abyssinians mm -hmm. and their names are P-Dink and Zippy. Okay. And they're litter mates, they're brother and sister. And they are, they just turned 12 in December, which makes them senior kitties, which makes me so sad because I know that, you know, I got to like come to terms with the, everybody knows when something happens to these cats, I'm going to need to be hogtied and possibly yeah. institutionalized because I love them so much. But yeah, they're like, I mean, they're like my reason for living. I just love them so much, but I love everyone's cats and I love all animals. Like I spend my my Facebook screen or not my Facebook my uh, my phone screen it it tells you like what how much screen time you spent last week and it came up like oh you were down seventeen percent last week you only spent three and a half hours of the day on your phone and I'm like oh my god because I know what I'm doing is I'm just looking at pictures of cats like I'm just mm -hmm. on Instagram there's this cat on Instagram named Hosako Cat I follow everything his ass does it's it's a little crazy it's yeah. a little crazy I might be a cat addict. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's worse things. We all know that. So much worse things. Yeah. So, <laughs> so much enjoy worse the things. cats, uh, the cat screen time. I um, do. And if if anybody's looking for you, it's radio dot rehab, right? And it's uh, radio dot rehab, and yeah, and radio rehab with Dana Keys on uh, on uh, iTunes. Cool. cool. Under well, podcasts. So yeah. Dana, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate you doing this and coming on and and sharing. And um, I. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you too. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, will you will you, will you come on uh, Radio Rehab? Of course. Awesome. 
Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at asforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>